Amen. Well, it is good to stand in front of you again and be able to have the privilege of sharing God's word this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. Uh, we'll be taking a, a, a brief hiatus from the, the, the study in, in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at love this morning and what love does in our lives when we truly experience God's love and forgiveness. Luke chapter 7, we're going, going to, to begin reading at verse 36. And we'll go through the end of the chapter this morning, Lord willing. It says this, And one of the Pharisees desired him, referring to Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he, referring to Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him him most? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto her, or say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said unto her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Pray with me, if you will. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And we realize the only way that that we can know you is if if you were to reveal yourself to us first. And so we thank you that you are a God who pursues a people to himself. Thank you for that. Thank you for your love and forgiveness that none of us can earn. None of us can pay back. But because of your great love and your great name and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have a relationship with you. We, we who were enemies of you can be adopted into your family and made sons and daughters of God. What an awesome thought this morning. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Father, help us to love others. And Father, I'm sure without you this morning I can do nothing. So I ask that you would speak through me. Dear God, I I need the gospel today as much as I need the gospel the, the day that you saved me. 
We all need the gospel, dear God. Father, help it to remind us that there is a better word spoken over our lives than the the words that we speak over ours. And Father, I just pray that you would use this service for your honor and your glory. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we have just come through Valentine's Day. It was Wednesday. Hopefully that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, If it does, um, you've probably heard about it by now before I had to tell you. Uh, But Valentine's Day is kind of odd because it comes right on the heels of Christmas. So for a lot of people, it's kind of like running a gauntlet, you know, trying uh, to avoid bankruptcy while at the same time, you know, getting the gifts that society says that we have to give. You know, that's what the commercials say anyway, you know. But regardless of what you think of Valentine's Day, uh, regardless of whether you think it's a uh, uh, marketing ploy to, to get you to buy greeting cards from Hallmark or uh, get you to, to buy roses that they mark up for Valentine's Day or those those mystery chocolates that half of them are, are nasty anyway. But, but they're in the shape of a heart, so it means love, right? So we give those. But regardless of what you think about Valentine's Day, at least it does give lip service to the idea of love, right? But this morning, we, we, we want to do more than give lip service to the idea of love. We want to do more than give a tip of the cap to it. We want to see real love. We want to understand that real love is the result of truly experiencing God, His grace in our lives. And we're going to see that from the text, that when we truly experience God's grace and His forgiveness, it will evidence itself. It will show itself outwardly in our lives, both in our response of love toward Christ and in our response of love toward other people. And we're going to see that from this narrative in two contrasting examples. There's going to be a positive example, one who has experienced the love and forgiveness of God, and it shows by the way that she loves and worships Christ. And we'll see a negative example of someone who, though religious, has not experienced God's grace and forgiveness. And it shows, by the way, he shows no concern for both Christ and others, his fellow man. So I've kind of entitled this story, The Pharisee and the Party Crasher. Because what we find here is that there is a dinner party being held at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And it's in a town called Nain which uh, it's not referred to in this part of the text. But that's where it is. But what's unusual is that Simon, a Pharisee, has also invited Jesus of Nazareth to attend this dinner party. And this is the same Jesus who very recently has raised a dead man to life. And he's done many wondrous miracles. But this is also the same Jesus that was very, very critical and, and, and certainly recently of the religious leaders of that day of whom Simon was one. And so what we find in the story is that Jesus ruins the party for some people, but he makes it very much a celebration for others. And that, that fits right in the context of Luke's gospel. Because the gospel of Luke presents Jesus Christ as the son of man. He is the second Adam sent from heaven to redeem mankind from the fall and the failings of the first Adam. And in this light, Luke, obviously under the direction of the Holy Spirit, highlights Jesus' care and compassion for the outcast. Loving the unlovable, pursuing the unwanted, showing himself to be the savior of all mankind. Because the theme verse of Luke's gospel is Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It didn't say the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the Jewish nation. 
It didn't say that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the Gentiles or the rich or the poor or the black or the white. It says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Which fits the bill of everybody who's ever lived. And Luke 7 is a great example of this. If we can just walk through the chapter real briefly, we'll see that context. In Luke 7, 1 through 10, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus whose servant is about to die. And remember, this is the passage where the Roman centurion says, I'm unworthy for you to come to my house, just speak the word and he'll live. And Jesus tells him in Luke 7, 9, it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. See, this is a Gentile showing faith. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In, in verses 11 through 17, Jesus is going from Capernaum where he met with the Roman centurion. He's going into the town of Nain. And he is met by this long black train of a, of a sad funeral procession heading out of town, heading to the, to the cemetery. And at the front of that train, there's a widow who's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. And there's weeping, and there's grieving, and the whole town has showed up. And Jesus raises the widow's son back to life. And in verse 16, it says, And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God has visited his people. The people believed because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then the word of that spreads all the way to John the Baptist. And John sends some of his disciples to Jesus to find out what's happened. And in Luke 7, 18 through 23, he, Jesus has a discourse with the disciples of John the Baptist. In verse 22 he says, Then Jesus answered, said unto him, Go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard. Notice the people that Jesus has ministered to. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. Think about how outcast the lepers are. They can't even live in normal society. But he has cleansed them. He has healed them. He has allowed them to reenter. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And to the poor, the people that no one cares about, the gospel is preached. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. All those outcasts of society... Jesus came for them. And then finally, Luke 7, 24 through 35, Jesus teaches the people about John the Baptist being the prophesied messenger. And, and, and it says in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 7, it says, all the people heard him. All the people, the unwashed masses heard him. And the publicans, those tax collectors, those people that were hated. And it says they justified God or they declared God to be just. Being baptized with the baptism of John. But notice it says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So there's this contrast that Luke is setting up. While many of the people believed on Jesus, from the populace, the people at large, the outcast, we see a major group who does not. Most of whom rejected Jesus outright. And that's the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the people who knew the law of Moses, who knew the prophets better than anyone concerning Messiah. They knew it better than anyone. They saw the same miracles. They were at the healings. They saw them. They had the the same ability to see the, the miracles that Jesus did as 
the people there. But they left unmoved, unbelieving. Because they didn't see themselves in need of God's grace, in need of God's mercy. They believed they kept the law and were thus righteous. So that's what Luke's doing. He's developing a contrast here in this narrative between two groups of people. Those who would receive Jesus' words and those who would reject it. And it's not who you would expect because you would expect the religious person, the the churchgoer to believe and follow. But that's not what happens here. But not only does the religious crowd reject him, they accuse him of sin and criticize his ministry to the outcast of society. Because the key verse to our passage today is verse 34. Look, look back with that with me. Luke 7, 34. It says, the son of man has come. This is what Jesus says, the claim they're making against him. The son of man has come eating and drinking. You say, behold, the gluttonous man and a wine bibber, a drunkard, a friend of publicans and sinners. Might I say, thank God that he is a friend of publicans and sinners. Because that hits every one of us. And that's the key. So let's, let's look about five things this morning from the, the passage. As we walk through this narrative, we're going to outline it. And then we are going to draw some application for ourselves from it. The first thing I see in this passage is the Pharisees' invitation. And that's verse 36. Look with me, if you will. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So, on the surface, this looks like a noble gesture, right? Here is Simon. We learn his name later in verse 40. He's a Pharisee of, of all people, but he's inviting Jesus, the person most publicly critical with his sect, to, to sit down and eat with him. And when you think of Pharisees, you probably ha- have an image in your mind of here's a, someone who is legalistic. Someone who is judgmental, someone who is unmerciful, and also someone who is a hypocrite. Someone who says one thing but then does something quite differently. And yet here is Simon, and it's in an apparently progressive move, I guess, inviting this opponent, Jesus, to dinner with him. Perhaps he wanted to appear more moderate, or perhaps he wanted to get in with the, with the people in the neighborhood. Or perhaps he just wanted to have the celebrity come and sit down with him because Jesus has just raised the man back to life. That doesn't happen very often. That's, that's kind of a big deal, right? You would, you would want to have this person sit down with you and be associated with this person. This guy can raise people to life. Yeah, let's bring him in. And then maybe some of his popularity will rub off on me. Perhaps that's what this man is thinking. But whatever the reason in his mind, he failed to realize, if you invite Jesus, you, you better expect him to show up, number one. And, and number two, you better be ready to have your life turned upside down. You better be ready to be changed. And that's a question for us this morning, because what about us? What about you? What about me? Are we willing to really meet with Jesus when we come in the, in the, in the, the, the big gathering on Sunday morning? Or when we come to Bible study earlier? Or when we meet in small group? Or when we meet in micro group? Or when we have our private devotions? Do we really want to meet with Jesus? Or is that just some lip service? Do we really want him to change our way of life? Will we give him the room to do so? Or as I said, is this just so to keep up with appearances? To give the appearance of religion? Are you willing to meet with him today and respond in faith and obedience to what he says? Because it's quite a different thing. And I'll admit that there are, there are Sundays that I come and because that's, that's what you do, right? You come. 
And because you got responsibilities and you come and you sing the words and you know they're great and then you know the meaning behind them, but sometimes you're not ready to meet with him. Simon was not ready to meet with him that day. Let's, let's look at a second thing. I see a party crashers infamy and intimacy. This is verse 37 and 38. It says, and behold, a woman in the city, which was the sinner. Notice those two words, woman and sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So into Simon's party, uh, there's a fly in the ointment, so to speak. With the celebrity Jesus on hand, there were, there, there were bound to be uninvited guests showing up, trying to peek through the windows, try to get in the door. We, we see this over and over in the Gospels where Jesus goes into a house and the people flood it because they want to get to Jesus. But how is, how is this party crasher described here? As I said, there's only two words used, woman and sinner. Uh, and we, we, you think about the society back then, it was, it was largely patriarchal. So this woman would have uh, been somewhat of a second-class citizen. You wouldn't have met with, with an unmarried woman in, in, society, in, in that society, especially as a Jew and as, as a Pharisee, for risk you'd be you know, criticized or, or, or thought to do something improper. So that's the first way she's, she's identified as a woman. But then secondly, more importantly, how is she described by, by Simon later on and by, and by Luke himself? She's called a sinner, which is a little bit unusual because aren't we all sinners? That's what Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. That's what it says. You know, we aren't normally addressed in polite society as Joe the sinner, you know. Hey, there's Joe the sinner. There's Bob the sinner. Hey, look, we're not addressed that way, even though we are all sinners. Hopefully saved by grace. But we're not addressed that way unless the only way you're known publicly is for your sin. We don't, the the text doesn't tell us what these women's sins were. But there's enough evidence within the text, and and, and most commentators will tell you, that she was probably a prostitute. She She was the lowest form of person. Because had she been something illegal, she'd be in jail. If her sin was, was, against, was against the government, she'd be in jail or worse. But she's out and about, so her sin is moral. And so, in all likelihood, she is a prostitute. A woman of ill repute. A woman that would, on a normal day, have never come to the house of Simon. A place where she'd be excluded, unwelcome, sent packing every other day a week. But why did she come today? It's very simple because she knew Jesus was there. He had been drawing her to there. And see, that begs the question for us this morning. Do other people know that Jesus is there with us? Or are you just another religious person? Because see, the religion won't change you. Jesus will change you. The, The religion won't draw you. Jesus will draw you. If the world sees Jesus in us, they will be drawn if for no other reason than for novelty and curiosity, I want to see if there's something real to this guy, to this girl, to this lady, to this man. They'll want to know what, what is it that makes you different. And they'll, they'll see Jesus for themselves. And you see, another thing I see in this passage is the party, this party crasher, this woman, 
She's not come to the dinner to steal attention, to place it upon herself. In fact, she came to place attention on Jesus. You see, the shame of her sins, the very public nature of them, the fact that everybody knew her past would make her normally want to hide from public sight, would make, would make her normally want to shy away from this place. See, she didn't want recognition from anybody. She knew her presence was unwanted there, yet she knew she needed help. Her life was a mess. Her heart was a mess. She knew that if there's anybody who might be able to help me, maybe that's Jesus. And notice where she stands in the passage. It says there in verse uh, 38, she stood at Jesus' feet behind him. Her guilt and shame kept her from even looking in the face of Jesus for fear that she would receive the same sort of scorn, the same sort of ugly looks that maybe Simon would have given her in the street as he passed. And you see, when you genuinely encounter God, it does produce a brokenness within us. And let me tell you this morning, this woman was broken. It reminds me a lot of of, of the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18 about a a Pharisee and a a publican, a tax collector. They both go into the temple to pray. And, and you know, the the Pharisee, he's very, you know, vocal. He, he, He tells God how good he is in his prayer. Uh, he, he wants everyone to know that he is there. But the publican, it says, Luke eighteen thirteen. it says he stands afar off. He would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And see, we see that brokenness, that same brokenness in this, this, this woman. So much so over the, sh- the shame of her sin, the past. We see that she begins to weep. And her tears, they begin to, to flow like rain onto the feet of Jesus. And that's a question for us this morning because when's the last time we were openly broken over the sin that's in our lives? When's the last time we, we, we stopped making excuses or trying to justify ourselves or compare ourselves to somebody else and really got honest with God? And, and, and we, we, we really meant it when we said, search me and try me, O oh God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. When was the last time we were honest? When's the last time we didn't let that pride that we sometimes call dignity keep us from getting right with God? But see, I'm afraid, and unfortunately, we've created this environment in, in our churches where everybody has to have it all together, right? We, we, we can't come to the altar and pray because somebody might think there's something wrong with us. There, there's an issue in our life. We can't be vulnerable because people will think we're less than something. And we've allowed that stigma and that shame to keep us from being honest. To keep us from finding help, from, grace to, from finding grace to help in a time of need. And from others to see our example and to be willing to be open themselves. But this woman, she did not. Because notice how she wipes the tears off of Jesus' dirty and dusty feet. Remember, they didn't have cars back then. They walked pretty much everywhere that they went. So you're walking down a a dirty, dusty road in sandals, feet liable to get very dirty and dusty. And now she has wept all over the feet of Jesus. And now that, that moisture has gone all over his feet. Notice how she wipes the tears off with her own hair. 
She's not caring about her appearance. Not a caring, caring about dignity. She stoops down and dries off Jesus' feet with her own hair. Think about that for a second. Ladies, think about how, how nice you like to keep your hair. All right? I mean, guys too. Because I know some of you guys use more product than the ladies do. But uh, think about that. We, we like to keep it all together. She didn't care about any of that. She didn't care about appearance, what, how she looked, what the end result of that was. She was worshiping at the feet of Jesus. She didn't care about the rest of that. It, it was no concern to her. She, imagine that scene. The tears turn the dust into mud and, and it starts to clump and mat into her hair. And yet she doesn't stop to go to the powder room. She doesn't stop to get herself fixed. And then notice what she does next. She kissed the very feet of Jesus. Let me ask you, how close and personal do you have to be to kiss somebody's feet? Yeah. Right. We see this act of worship. And lastly, she anointed Jesus' feet with a very costly ointment. It probably cost her a long time to save up for that. She had to to scrap and, and, and to save to be able to afford that. That reminds us that sacrifice does not matter when love is involved. This is a picture of lavish worship. You see, because total worship requires sacrifice, not simply our leftovers. You see, lavish worship is rarely convenient. It asks something of us. And oftentimes it asks more than I am willing to give and more than you are willing to give. But we see here her worship because something has happened in her heart already. We see that tears, they're evidence that that there was repentance happening in her heart. We see she's bowing herself at the feet of Jesus. That's evidence that she's confessing him as Savior, as Lord. And when you truly encounter the abundant, transforming grace of Christ, how can we not but offer up our best, everything we are, to Jesus Christ? Not in repayment, don't get it twisted this morning, but in complete awestruck gratitude for what God has done for us. How can a genuine encounter with the love of God not be met with the most extravagant form of love, an offering we can give? The old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, says this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But, I, we, we, need to, we need to say this here, in reality, what this woman did should not be seen as over the top. It should merely be seen as appropriate. An appropriate response. This was not an over-the-top response to the grace of God. This was an appropriate response. Because how can meeting the saving power and love of God that forgives us of all of our sins, that cleanses us, that redeems us, that, that turns enemies into adopted children, how can that not be met with that, with the type of worship like that? That should be just the appropriate response. The only reason why it's sometimes it, it seems it feels exorbitant. It's the same reason why it, it felt exorbitant to Simon the Pharisee. is because it qu- calls into question our own level of love. Our own level of worship. Do we worship that way? How is our response to God's grace? 
which sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes mine is more left over than lavish. Maybe yours feels the same this morning. But that's why we have to continue to speak the gospel into our lives. Remind ourselves about how great God's forgiveness and how great his love is. How powerful it is to change somebody from darkness into life. Let's look at the third thing. I see a Pharisee's indignation in his instruction. This is verse 39 through 43. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it or this, and circle that word this or it in your translation, whichever word it is, keep that in your mind. He saw this. He saw it. Now notice what he did. He spoke within himself. That's the first thing. Saying, this man, if he were a prophet, that's the second thing, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. Notice the third thing, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And and we, we can imagine that Jesus does have something to say to him, just as he does to us. And he said, Master, say on. And so Jesus gives this, this parable real briefly. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence or denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage, so 500 it would have taken 500 days to, to pay that off. And that's not having, you know, and that would be, that would be you know, without considering taxes and considering the other bills you have to pay. So the one guy owes the creditor 500 denarii, the other 50. And it says, and when they had nothing to pay, they, were, they both could not pay the debt. Notice, the creditor frankly forgave them both. This is a picture of salvation because none of us have anything to pay. None of us have anything to offer. We all owe God a debt that we cannot pay, but that Christ has already paid in our place. He satisfied the debt on the cross and through his resurrection. And then so Jesus says, tell me, therefore, which, which of them, which of these two debtors that have been forgiven will love the creditor the most? And so Simon answered and said, well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And Jesus said unto him, you have rightly judged. So you would have thought that anyone with a heart would have seen this scene, this woman who was broken and weeping at the feet of Jesus. You would have thought that anybody that had any sort of heart at all would have been touched by the scene. But apparently not Simon. Is, is it possible that this, woman, that this woman's lavish worship has convicted him of his lack of worship? Perhaps. But notice how Simon responds. Because... Number one, he responded inwardly. He spoke within himself. This is the telltale marks of a hypocrite, right? There's an outward appearance of good. Maybe he, he had a, 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 a meek smile on his face during the whole thing and acted like, yeah, this is a good thing. But inwardly, there's something different. He, something was different on the inside than what he portrayed on the outside. There may have been a, a fake smile on the face, but the heart was negative and critical. He responds inwardly. Secondly, he responds skeptically because he says, notice, this man, if he were a prophet. So he, he doubts Jesus' credentials based on his own biases against the woman and his preconceived notions about what is proper and right for a prophet to do. I wonder if you ever read the book of Hosea. Some of you get that. and Some of, some of you, uh, your homework this week is to read the book of Hosea and you'll figure out that. Because God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute to show his love for his people that had strayed and, and, and been unfaithful to him. 
So he responds skeptically. Third, he responds judgmentally. He turned up his nose at this woman because of what she had done, totally devaluing the fact she was a person that God loved just as much as he loved himself. And you see, we do that sometimes. We, we look at the trappings and we fail to see that lost people will act like lost people. People who, are, who have not experienced the grace of Christ are going to act like that day in and day out, just like we did day in and day out when, before we knew Christ. But Simon felt justified feeling this way, right? This woman was obviously sinful. She's obviously unworthy to be in their presence. This was an outrage to him. He was, oh, what is this happening? Why is she here? Where was my servant to keep her from getting in here? Things of that nature. And that's the point. That Simon's legalism, his religion, his dead orthodoxy had never once provided for the needs of the sinner in distress. You see, you don't have to condone the sin to show compassion. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go out into a world that's very messy, very broken. And we're called to take the love of Christ. And to show them that there is forgiveness, that you don't have to continue down this road, that there is hope found in Jesus Christ. But it's, it, it's evident from Simon's reaction to all of this that even though he was in close proximity to Jesus, he had completely missed him. He's in the same room. He's sitting at the same table. He's eating with him. He's conversing with him, but he's completely missed Jesus. And that shows by his lack of love for others. As, 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 as they say, horseshoes and hand grenades. That's, that's the only place that close counts. Horseshoes and hand grenades. You see, but that's a challenge for us, right? Because we're in church, right? We're coming to hear God's word, right? We're, we're, we're awful close and sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss out completely. But see, Simon's thoughts, though they were internal, Jesus heard them. And they failed to slip past his all-knowing mind. Because even though he spoke within himself, Jesus very much knew what was on his heart, knew what he said. And so verse 40 is the part of the story where it gets really quiet in the room. Because Jesus is about to, to bring some correction here. Jesus is about to teach Simon and us. Something very important. You see, those who have been forgiven and know they have been forgiven will also forgive others, will also love others. And it, and it seems to be proportionally or proportional. The amount of debt we know that we've been forgiven, it'll, it'll show by the amount of forgiveness we're willing to show others. And see, that's the problem because a lot of times we, we don't think we've been forgiven them much. Or maybe we've been, we've been a Christian for so long that, that, that we forget where God has brought us from. And, it, and, it's, and it's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good. Why aren't you good? And we, and we fail to show forgiveness to others. But we, we see here in this passage, in the text here, Simon's answer gives away his, home, his position. Because he says, you know, I suppose that, you know, the, the one who's been forgiven the most will love the most. Because he knew the parable had hit home with him. And he was still fighting against that fact. That he had, it had shown him to be wrong. And that's the crux of the parable. Is that we've all been forgiven much. And that's what the gospel does. It reminds us of the magnitude of God's grace and his mercy and his love for us. And though it may not seem as much compared to your neighbor... 
first of all, we need to stop comparing ourselves to our neighbor because that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. But when we do compare ourselves to a, a holy, a sinless God, our sins are just as dark and just as evil as anyone else's. Yeah, we're, we're very quick to, to point our finger at the school shooter and say how evil an act that was. And it's evil and it's awful. But that's a sin that Christ died for just as much as the bitterness that's in our heart or the unforgiveness that's in our heart or the gossip that, that we spread or the way that we refuse to love our neighbor. It's just as much a sin. It, it needs just as much as God's grace. But here we have it. This woman, she knew her sins were dark. She knew what was going on in her life. She had a, a world full of people to remind her of that fact. You see, it was Simon the Pharisee, who, he was the one who tried to justify himself before God by good works, not realizing that it is only through the grace of God that forgiveness is, earned, is granted. It's never earned. And so finally, uh, let's, let's look at verses 44 through 47. We'll see a, a Pharisee's inhospitality his, and his ingratitude. And he, and he turned uh, to the woman. This is Jesus. He, he, he has not looked at the woman at all yet, and he's not addressed her yet. He's only addressed Simon. He turns to the woman, but then he speaks to Simon, and he says, Do you see this woman? You see, because in verse 39, all that Simon saw was this, or it. Remember, I, I told you to remember that word. All he saw was the situation. He didn't see the woman. All he saw was her sin. All he saw was the inconvenience and, and the, the, the spectacle that she was causing. He didn't see her. But Jesus says, no, look at this woman. I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto, unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Let me just put a caveat here. This, this act of worship did not earn the woman forgiveness. I, I, we need to be clear about that. Even though it comes first in the text, it wasn't that and then because she showed such a great response of worship Oh, she earned forgiveness. No, that's, that's not what it is. That would be the same thing as, as what the Pharisee was trying to do, to earn God's favor by keeping the law, right? It's the, it's the same thing. No, it's because this woman has experienced the forgiveness of Christ, she displays it. So b- before Jesus pronounces her to be forgiven, it's already happened in her heart, and it, and it shows by what she does. You see, but Jesus doesn't just stop with a, just an impersonal parable. He makes it personal for Simon by contrasting his, his ingratitude with the woman's lavish worship. And it reveals Simon's motivations for having Jesus there. Because, see, Jesus, or excuse me, Simon did not greet Jesus properly at all. In, in that culture, everyone knew that when you traveled, your feet would be nasty, and so they would take a servant and make sure to wash their guests' feet. That would be the first thing that would be done when they, they come in. And it would usually be the lowest servant that did that, which is why it was such a big thing when, when Jesus washes his servants' feet right before his betrayal in the garden when they're in the upper room. That's why that was such a big deal. But you would have never done that. I mean, that was unthinkable. 
And also, Simon did not greet Jesus at all with a kiss. And the kiss was a sign of honor or respect for the guest there. So no courtesy, no, no honor, nothing. He, he said, Jesus shows up, Jesus show up to my house to this dinner party and then has nothing for him when he gets there. And that oversight coupled with the lack of care shown by him to this woman, it highlights the danger of, that you can fall into if you're religious, but you've never truly encountered Christ. You see, because when, we, when we're religious, all we care about is ourself because we think that we've earned the right through our good works. We're deceived into thinking that there's nothing we have to be for, forgiven of. And so when, when somebody does something wrong against me, it's a very personal injustice. And we fail to forgive others. But see, notice in this passage the correlation, once again. The amount of love you show and the, the amount of forgiveness you have been shown. When you realize it, when you realize as, as a Christian, we've all been forgiven much. That's why it's so vital. We constantly remind ourselves the power of the cross, the power of what Christ did for us, the truth of the gospel. If we forget, if we get that, if we forget that or fail to realize that magnitude, it'll show in our lack of worship. It'll show in our lack of love for others. And finally, real, real, real quickly, let's look at a fifth thing. That's a pardoning of iniquity and a private inquiry. So verse 48 through 50, and he said unto her, your sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus finally at this point speaks to the woman. He's not, he's not addressed her at all yet. He's only addressed Simon. But it's, it's because Simon needed more instruction than the woman. The woman got God's grace. <laughs> Simon had, it clearly went over his head. He speaks just 12 words to her in, in, this, in this whole passage. He could see the condition of her heart. While, while all we could see is the outward effects. And, and what we see here is the greatest miracle performed in all of Scripture. It's greater than the, the man that was raised back to life, headed to the cemetery. It was greater than the blind being able to see. It was greater than the deaf being able to hear. The greatest miracle in all of Scripture is the forgiveness of sins. Because the people were, were right to ask the question, who indeed can forgive sins? It's not something you can go out and buy. It's not something you can, you can learn how to do. Only Jesus Christ, only God can forgive sins. For, and see, forgiveness of sins is so huge because it's not, we're not dealing with life or death anymore. We're dealing with eternity. It's the difference between eternity with God in his presence forever or, the, or an eternity eternally separated from God. In a place called hell. But, you know, th th there is a temptation as we look at this narrative, and I want to make sure that, that we get this clear. That we're tempted to focus on the woman in the story, right? Because that's where the motion is. That, th that's what draws us in. Maybe that's what we can identify with. But that's not what Luke is, 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 is pointing us to. You see, the overwhelming picture that Luke is painting is, look how great Jesus is. Look how worthy of worship he is. Look how powerful he is. That should be our heart's cry this morning. Look how great Jesus is because he can save someone like me. Because he can save someone like you. 
see, we can't earn it through good works. We can't buy it from the pharmacist or a salesman. As I said before, the woman must have saved up a long time for that ointment, but that, didn't, that, that sacrifice did not buy her forgiveness. Only God can forgive your sins this morning. Jesus is God. If you are here this morning in need of forgiveness, Jesus offers it freely because he's already paid the price for you. By dying in your place on the cross for your sins. This morning, if the Spirit is drawing you, come. Come to him in faith, accepting his free gift of salvation, believing he is God Almighty. Confessing your sinfulness, confess your need of the Savior this morning. What about you this morning? Which person do you find yourself like? Maybe you identify with one person in particular around the dinner table in this story. You see, both people needed forgiveness, but only one received it because only one recognized their need. God doesn't care how religious you are, how many times you've read the Bible, how many times you've been in Sunday school, how many times you've been in church. If you're depending on something else other than Jesus Christ, you are still lost in your sins and destined for a place called hell. But you don't have to be. Friends, you don't have to be. God is able to save you this morning. If you'll realize your need of him, anyone who will come in faith to him, he will save. But for you who are Christians, what does your worship look like? Is it reflective of the glorious grace of God? Is it reflective of the peace of Christ that you've received? If not, why not? Let's stop giving God our day-old bread. And pretending that it's something more than what it really is. Let's start, let's start encountering the glory of Christ daily. In his word and in prayer. So that there's a song of praise on our lips and in our hearts. As we move about our week. And Christians, what does our love for others look like? Is it marked by compassion and forgiveness? Would the outcasts of society be welcomed into our homes and in our churches? So they could experience that same love and forgiveness that we have. If not, why not? Remember, part of your worship to Christ is your love for others. You can't separate the two. You can't say, I love God and I, and I love others, and I don't love others. In fact, as we read in, 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 the, in John's epistles this week, the person who says that, that he loves God and does not love others is a liar. Those are John's words. Those are not mine, so take them up with him. Our, but in reality, our love for God, it'll show because we'll love others. And that's the point this morning. When you truly experience the love of God, when you truly experience his forgiveness, you'll love him and you'll love others. Some practical applications as we, as we get ready to close. Number one, remind yourself of the, the magnitude of God's forgiveness. Daily, remind yourself of it. Remind yourself of God's grace. You need to. Secondly, in Christ, you are forgiven in love. Live in that daily. Live in that love and forgiveness. And then third, view others through that same lens, through the lens of God's grace. Look at them that way. And finally, as we've been asking you to do, eat with and bless and serve and share with two others. And ask yourself the question, is there room around my table for the outcast? Your outcast may look different than mine, but is there room around your table for them? Every head bowed and every eye closed. We come to a time of invitation this morning as our musicians make their way forward. Where do you find yourself this morning? How has this message found you? Maybe you're here today and you need salvation. 
You need God's forgiveness. He offers it freely. If the Spirit is drawing you, come. Be happy to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Jesus is your Savior. Heaven is your home. Or maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. You're a true follower of Christ, but examining your heart, it, you can tell that there's something lacking in my love. I, I'm not loving others like I need to. I'm not forgiving others like I need to. Maybe you realize, man, I, there's, something, there's something there. there. There's someone I need to go get things right with. Or, or, or maybe it's just I've been, I've been treating others with lack of concern because I've been too concerned with myself. And maybe you want to come this morning and pray about that. There's grace for that as well. How's your, how's your worship for Christ? Is there a song in your heart as you go about your week? It, it'll show itself. Father God, I pray that you would work in, in power and in might this morning in our invitation. Dear God, that, that your spirit would, would do as only he can do. It would draw men and women and boys and girls to yourself. That the lost would, would, would come to know you and be saved. That those who do, do know you would, would be res, obedient and respond in faith to what you tell us this morning. What you've pricked our hearts with. Father, I just pray uh, that that you would uh, do a special work in our invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand to our feet.